Hi, my name is Israel Aros. I was born and raised in East Los Angeles. Migrated to Nuevo Mexico, Rivera, about eight, nine years ago. I'm a Chicano artist, identify as a native artist, as an undocumented native. Um, because if you look at the populations of Mexico, and all that region, you know, there was a whole other um, strategic approach to genocide, which was making sure that none of us have any of those um, taglines or whatever that we want to associate sometimes with being native. Oh, you have an ID. So I, I'd say that sometimes, you know, undocumented native. My mom, from my mom's side, it would be Wichol on my grandmother's side and from my father's side that would be Tarumara or Raramuri, the ones that are known for the hundred miles runners. Um, right now, um, what does that have to do with me right now? It has to do with my work as a, as a native artist, as a Chicano artist, as a Mexicano-Americano artist, um, trying to recover those pieces and what an elder told me once was um, our ancestors didn't want us to copy them. And I think that freed me, you know, and that they wanted us to look at those ancestral glyphs or those ancestral images, but put them into the now. So my work does that, or attempts to do that, um, whether it be with me just using a Sharpie and creating codices, what I sometimes call coloring books, but just for the sake of trying to sell the work, but really it's codices, it's ancestral glyphs and ancestral stories, and I'm also a poet um, because the word and the image are, they go hand in hand, and I'm also a muralist, and I try to help out in my community with trying to get other artists, young and old, to activate that memory and activate, get inspired to do that work and also do music sometimes. And I think that's about it for now. <laughs> um, what was your first engagement with like realizing that art was a tool or something you could use to unfold these, these ideas, these thought patterns that you are having? Um, when I was 16, a friend of mine um, in high school, he, he really got me to pay attention to lyrics. And it's funny because it was like Led Zeppelin, uh, Kurt Cobain, Metallica, um, and he would just write them down and show them to me. And, and then I just started writing my own stuff, you know, and... I think for me at that point, it was just about saving my own life, 
you know, trying to understand my own life. And what I really distinctly remember is one point writing a poem that I was sharing with a friend of mine. And in, in the poem, I can still remember the opening line was, I'm not a poet, you know. And, and the whole poem, he, he looked back to me and he was like, this is like your best poem. <laughs> and it started with like, I'm not a poet. You know, and I can't remember the rest of it, but I imagine it was just raw and open and sincere. Um, and it just helped me at a really hard time in my life when I didn't understand where I was going, what I was heading to, being that, you know, being Chicano in the barrio in East LA. Um, I didn't have male role models that I could say, oh, I could look up to that guy, you know, I could look to this. So I think that for me was key in starting up myself as an artist. And I didn't realize it, that that was my beginning and my start till I was in college. Um, with the 1.59 high school GPA, somehow I drove it in my head that I wanted to go to UC Berkeley. Um, and that's a whole other political adventure that I'll talk about in a bit. But <laughs> I remember being in my English class um, at the junior college trying to get into UC Berkeley and realizing, well, kind of feeling embarrassed because I didn't know any so-called real poets. I didn't know Neruda or, you know, Joey Harjo or Shuman Alexi or any poets that I would say at that point consider real poets. But what I took in pride is that I, I was like, wait, I do like all the hip hop artists I listen to, all the lyrics of like all these different poets that I, I was well read but I wasn't traditionally so-called and well-read because mm -hmm. I had never picked up till that point, till that first English class in college. I hadn't picked up a poetry book, but I had a bunch of poems in my head. You know, I had, you know, Ice Cube. I had um, Tupac. I had, you know, um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I had, you know... Uh, traditional folklorico music in my head. I had, you know, Nahuatl songs from the Azteca, you know, all these poems. It just wasn't identified that way. And so I think a lot of my art is about decolonizing that and deconstructing that and really going like, well, screw what you think art is, what you think poetry is, and, and really, like, looking at it from a whole other lens of, like, it's, it's, you know, it's an abuela, it's a grandmother saying, you know, a saying, a dicho, and that that's, you know, pure power, pure medicine, and pure truth, and pure poetry, pure mm -hmm. art. Yeah. I wonder why we take from our women, why we rape our women, do we hate our women? I think it's time to kill for our women, time to heal our women, be real to our women. And if we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the ladies that make the babies. And since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, ladies. But keep your head up. And so what happened when you did get to Berkeley? What, 
was that your first time interacting with like um, maybe a revolutionary aesthetic or um, like decolonizing um, these codes that you found in hip hop? Like, was going to Berkeley your awakening in that way, or had you already been started on that path? Definitely. Definitely UC Berkeley was that. Because growing up, you know, I heard Ice Cube talking about run, run, run from the ghetto bird. You know, uh, I didn't have... Today was a good day. I didn't have to use my AK. And really, like, those realities of, like, watching a helicopter go through your neighborhood on a daily, hearing gunfire on a daily, like, that that's normal. Um, And surrounded by brown people in the neighborhood, you know, but then the people who taught me in the classroom were mostly white. The people who confronted me outside of it in a police car were mostly white. It took me going to Berkeley and really waking up to a lot of things. One of the first things was being able to look people in the eye. Because in my neighborhood, you understood you look somebody in the eye, especially another male, then you're, you're, it's a confrontation. So I walked around with my head down. And it wasn't until getting to Berkeley and hearing people be like, hi, walking down the street was like, well, what did I do? You know, it was like <laughs> culture shock. But at that time, too, was when they were trying to take away affirmative action. And I remember being at one of my first protests um, in front of the Campanile, and it's a big tower in UC Berkeley. And so I was, I was at the time I was at San Francisco State University but I, I wanted to go to Berkeley. Um, but there was people up, up on top chain that were protesting that we still needed affirmative action, that we still needed to make sure that we had enough native, that we had enough Chicano, black, Asian, anything um, that wasn't the predominant culture, that, that we needed more of those students there. But what really was the kicker for me was that all of a sudden I'm getting pulled and yanked to the floor and I'm getting beat. And when I look up, it's a brown police officer. And it destroyed my world. I was just, it it did not, I could not understand how this brown man who probably got his job because of affirmative action, because of needing more brown people in in any position of the government um, that they were the ones that were stopped trying to stop me in this protest. And it was that moment that really changed my, my everything because then I was like, I'm coming to UC Berkeley. I'm coming to UC Berkeley with my 1.59 GPA. <laughs> you know, and so um, I went back went to the junior college, picked up my grades, um, and just that was like nobody was going to stop me from entering this institution. Um, Because prior to that, because I grew up in East L.A. and it was all brown people, predominantly it was like you don't think the world is different. You don't think the world hates or um, discriminates, even though... I was getting discriminated on the daily, 
whenever we went from East LA to Alhambra, it's just really like a, there's a freeway right there. It's uh, 710 and the 10, where they kind of meet over um, on Atlantic Boulevard. And it was every time we got off the freeway on Atlantic Boulevard, because my dad lived in Alhambra, which is predominantly Asian American and Asian community, it never failed to get pulled over. It didn't matter what car we were in. It was like, uh, yeah, I know, we fit the description, and this is a car you're looking for. and But it becomes a norm to you. And it isn't until you get out of those spaces and you start dealing with people that are like, no, that's not normal. And they try to educate you, and you have your own histories, and you have your own truths, and you realize you never got taught about all these things, like you're indigenous, that um, what happened in 1848, 1492, and people start throwing out all these dates at you, that you start realizing, like, wow, like, I've been living a farce. Um, and you get angry. And for me at that point was rage against the machine. It was like, that was my peace of mind. <laughs> I went from like Ice Cube and all these um, hip hop artists and like heavy rock to like the whole mix of what rage is, you know? And it was like, and I didn't understand half of the stuff he was saying, but the few things I did was like, yeah, that's the truth. That's it right there. And I remember that key line, your anger is a gift. Your anger is a gift. So I walked a, a long, a lot of time at that point, like angry. Angry and trying to know more and, and going into, but what I thought was decolonized behavior at the time, you know, by checking everything and looking at everything through that lens. And eventually you realize, like, well, that's not it either. Mm. You know, it's not just about like, calling things out or like being hypersensitive around those things it's like where's the creation in this you know so for me it became about that and around that time it became about you know what I later would term weapons of mass creation that that's what we have it's like whether it's with a sharpie whether it's with a, you know spray can whether it's with a pen pencil it's like they can't stop us there you know, they can try to jail us, you know, or they can try to, like, do whatever. It's like we have tools that keep us growing, that keep us re-pulling -pull out that ancestral information, but also, like, bringing it to the now and bringing it to the next generations. You know, I think about, like, Malcolm X. You know, at that time, those were, like, key figures in my life. It was not the MLKs. It was not the Gandhis. It was like the ML. It was like the Malcolm X. What did he do when he was in jail? Oh, that fool picked up the dictionary, and he took his education into his own hands. And then now, when I work with youth, and it's like I find a youth that's on probation, or that's just like all over the place. I'm like, can we sit down and watch this YouTube video? And it'll be like an excerpt of Malcolm X in that one, that one, that one movie where he's like. In, in the jail cell and this other cat's trying to get him to read the dictionary and like really start looking at what does white mean? What does black mean? And what do all these words mean? And then I'll show them like, you know, footage of, of like Malcolm X talking. And I'll be like, this is, this fool's from the hood. 
this fool's straight gangster. And now look at him being more gangster than ever before. You know, um, that's what it became to me about. Like even my classes, because a lot of people, because when at UC Berkeley, it's about like, I think, I think, I'm not sure, but I think part of it is people want to be professors. People mm. want to be academics. And then there's another half that wants to be like, let's, let's, let's blow this whole thing to shreds. This thing is ridiculous. How do we blow it to shreds? <laughs> so that was the beauty of like <laughs> this whole range of conversations you had every day of like people that were like, you know, we need to just destroy the government. And then other people that were like, well, you know, what is, what, all these isms and all these like pedagogy and all these big words, like, you start learning yourself and you're just like, wow, the answer's somewhere in the middle of all this. You know? <laughs> Nobody holds the truth, but, it, but um, I, I came out with the saying when I came out of that. But um, because at Berkeley, you learn to argue the crap out of arguing. So it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It's like you just learned how to like, my, I'm right. <laughs> I'm, I'm so right right now. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to bring out all these theorists, Marxism, and, you know, Plato, and Che Guevara. And I'm going to prove to you how right I am and how wrong you are. And it took me years to decolonize that. You know? And it took, it took grandmas, you know? It took a... It took, uh, you know, um, elders to be like, cool, you graduated from UC Berkeley. Like, that's cool. Now welcome to the university of the universe where you never graduate. And it's time to decolonize all those isms you came in with. You know, and it was around a sacred fire that, you know, she would be like, there's no isms here. So don't bring, and this is a, a grandma thing, don't bring capitalism don't bring feminism don't bring any ism and it was like hard for me to grasp that because i want to bring all the this mind and all this like you know um non-binary or whatever and it was like none none of that it's like we're all the same here so like calm down and really sit with fire water the original technologies sit with the real truths and know that here, welcome to kindergarten. You know, 25 with a UC Berkeley degree, thinking like, oh, I got, you know, a degree from the top university in the country. You know, and she's like, eh, that's... Mm, what is? Whatever. <laughs> but, but at the same time, she would watch me drawing. And she was like, without art, there is no movement. And I didn't get that, because at that time I was like, you know, being political and being activist and go march on the streets and everything. And she would be like, without art, there is no movement. And it took me years to even try to comprehend that. This was a woman who in the 60s and 70s, Chicana activist who like had a shotgun, who was part of the AIM movement, who was like, I'm ready to die for this, mm. you know? And she meets um, a Sundance chief who, where she's doing security. And, the sun, and she's about 16, 17 years old. And the Sundance chief is like, you, you ready to be a warrior? 
And she's like, yeah, I'm ready to die for this. I'm here to protect the sun death. And, and he's like, well, real, real warriors pray. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so she puts that gun down and she becomes one of the first Chicanas to ever sun dance. Wow. You know? And she's the one that begins to influence me. And yet here, you know, she's an activist and she prays and, and she's this woman that's taking back her indigenous roots and understanding that she's got to claim that back. And yet she's the one telling me, without art, there is no movement. And, and what I finally understood from that was like, whenever we go out on the street, it's like we have these signs. But these signs are really the first thing people see that really wakes up their consciousness. Whether it be on Facebook, whether it be on the street, whether it be in a book, it's like these images, these images that we put out, it's like the first intersection to the heart and the mind and the body and the spirit of like, something has to shift, you know? And it, it took her telling me that like every time she saw me, because I wouldn't not say yes, I wouldn't not say no. I would just sit there and, but I think part of me wanted to disagree because as artists, we get put to the back of the movement. As artists, we get put like, oh, you're doing that. Oh, that's cute. You know, your, <laughs> your poem was cute. Or, or your, you know, that piece of art, you know, you did was cool. But artists have changed my life. I still remember, you know, one poet at UC Berkeley reading in front of everybody. And then I decided, like, oh, I want to read in front of people. I want to say my piece in front of people. It took me four years after that. But I still remember, I can still see him on that stage. Like, just spitting, you know, ripping it up and talking about, you know. It was funny because now we say Antifa. And I remember him saying Antifada, which is something totally different, but it's really linked in my brain. Still, like, I still hear him saying that, you know, as he was just going off about, you know, the wars in, in other countries and the wars that are here. Um, but that changed my life. And seeing another artist at UC Berkeley being on the stage, being a musician, and I was like, well, I'm going to start a band. You know, and it's like it changed my life. One moment, ten minutes, three minutes, you know, changed my life. You know, um, I remember towards the end of my days at Berkeley, I was in this fast because that um, in Richmond, California, they had taken away the the sports teams for the high schools, the counselors, the libraries. Um, I remember hearing about that and I was like, what are you leaving us with? It was like a poor, um, poor neighborhood, you know? And of course, they can take away all those things, right? So I remember we ended up marching from Richmond to Sacramento, 70 miles. It took us about seven days, I think. And we marched with youth. We marched with six-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 50-year-olds. We all marched over 10 days. And in that march, we also ran into like some prisons. And we had like fourth graders who were like, this prison looks better than my school. 
you know. Um, but we also got to bear witness to like a lot of awakening to these six-year-olds and tenth-graders and sixth-graders that were like talking to us like, we're like, wow, you're like a really old soul. <laughs> you know, it was really amazing. But when we got to the capital, state capital, I knew, even though we were like thousands marching into the capital, there was like, that ghetto bird was up above us again. But this time it was like, you know, bearing witness to us as like a community, a whole community. Um, I remember thinking, wow, this isn't going to be enough. We're going to have to fast. Um, and we got there, and it was at the time when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor, our high times. <laughs> as, we, as we think now about who's in office, we had Arnold Schwarzenegger and the governor for California. My UC Berkeley um, diploma says, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but um, he wasn't there. He knew we were coming, and he wasn't there. And there was, like, two of, like, his, like, little really menial secretaries that were there. And it didn't hurt me that he wasn't there for me. Like, I'm like, cool, whatever. I'm a grown-ass man. I walked 70 miles. It's okay. But it really broke my heart that, you know, these six-year-olds were there and he wasn't there. Like he was stripping them of their dignity, of their peace. So I knew then, it's like, oh, I, I'm, I'm gonna fast. Like, and it wasn't even about what we were fighting anymore. Like I wanted him to give them back their, that, you know. Um, so we started back in Oakland and we started nine of us fasting. And about day 10, we move it to to Sacramento um, and we're there eight day 11, 12 and by this point the senators are like you guys are so disorganized we don't have to come out here we became known as the starving teachers um, and in that process you know Dolores Huerta finally we get her to join on board and that was it. It's like all of a sudden she jumped in like on day 20 and it was like, boom, everything's like, they're starting to pay attention to us. Like, you know, the senator and everybody that have been totally ignoring us are like, oh, okay, we got to pay attention to you guys. But it's all like the synchronicity and timing of things because at that point was 50 years, um, uh, the 50 year anniversary of Brown versus Board of Education. And so at one point, I think it's like day 24 of this fast, Dolores Huerta brings in this huge black woman, tall black woman. And she's standing in front of me. And she starts crying. And she's like, you're so brave, you're so brave. And at that point, somebody had told me who she was. She was Minnie, one of the original Arkansas Nine one of the original black people that, that broke segregation. Those teenagers, that footage of what we see, those teenagers walking in with tanks and you know all these people there. She's right in front of me, crying, saying how brave I am. And I'm like, there's no, like, no way I'm brave. Like, I'm sitting here, I'm not eating by choice. Like, and so I asked somebody to give me a piece of paper. Somebody gives me a notebook, 
and I started writing this poem about her, about her being 16, how much courage it took for her as this tall, it's not like she's just this tall black woman even then, and going into his classrooms and hearing the N-word, in and out, hearing death threats, getting food shoved at her, tanks, all these, you know, I'm writing this poem, and it's like, and she had no idea with all that courage, you know, that 50 years later, she would have influenced, you know, this Mexicano, this Chicano, you know, fighting for education, fighting for immigrant rights, you know, no clue of the power that she had then. And so that night, she's supposed to read a speech. And she goes, I was going to read the speech, but I'm going to read this poem instead. And so from what I heard, um, there wasn't a single dry eye in the house. Everybody was in tears after she finished them, reading that poem. But what was also amazing about that moment is that those senators that had been ignoring us finally got up because they were there at that, at that um, dinner. And they were like, we got to do something about those starving teachers. So the next day, they finally meet with us, even though they had been like, we'll just wait them out. They're going to get hungry eventually. <laughs> you know? But I tell that story to youth, like, of the power of the word, of the power of poetry. Um, because that next day, we stopped the Senate floor. And that Senate floor has only been stopped one other time. And that was the Black Panthers with shotguns taking running into the governor's office, you know. And here we were with fasting, with like, you know, poems and prayers because everybody was coming out there and praying with us. We had Aztec drummers out there coming out every day. Um, and people, you know, wanting to listen to us and we us listen to them. Um, and, and we understood, like, we have real power in our, in our dignity and our peace, you know. So because of all that, we end up now in California, there's a fixed interest rate, like, on what the government can charge um, schools for loans, you know. Um, but it's just, like, to me, too, it's, like, testimony to, again, like, what, what we can do with art, what we can do with poetry. Obviously, it wasn't the only thing, but it plays a key factor. You know, what if I don't give that poem to her? How much longer till they finally, like, decide, like, well, we have to, like, listen to them? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know, it's like... So, wait, she read your poem? Yeah, she read my oh. poem. I missed that oh, part. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she was going to read her speech. Yeah, but she read your poem. Yeah. Oh, my. How did that make you feel personally? I mean, aside from the whole movement. Yeah. As an artist, how did that make you feel? You know, at the time I was just humbled and like blown away. And it's not until now that I tell the story. Like I've been telling the story now, you know, the last couple of years. And it finally hits me. One, like, the power of poetry. Like, the power of our word, when we just strike, it's fierceness that can't go any other way. It, it's like the heart of the truth. It's not a complete sentence. 
It's not the grammar, you know, I tell people, I got a poetic license, I can do whatever the hell I want. I misspell words all the time, people want to correct me, I'm like, that's how I'm going to spell it. You know, and it's just like, it's it's just so much truth in that. You know, for me, it's like, that's what that, that story in that moment is testimony to. It's like, it's not about me, it's like what came through me mm-hmm. in this really like, and it's pure truth. Because she was like, you're so courageous, you're so... I was like, I'm, I'm just sitting here, like I look all like I'm about to die because it's been 26 days and I have not food. <laughs> I've been drinking water, but I'm like, no, you had courage. And then, but it took me that poem to tell her. Mm. I couldn't explain it to her, like... In the essay, I couldn't explain it to her by being factual, like just, I kind of get to the heart of the truth. And that's like what happens in poetry, that happens every song we hear that's like, you know, strikes us, you know, just gets right to the heart. You know, I know how many Tupac songs that, you know, I'm just like, you know, Dear Mama, I'm just like, hell yeah. And it's all our contradictions, you know, where he's talking about like, selling drugs on the street and he's like but I'm trying to do that because I love you and it's just so real and it's just like I feel like the songs the hip hop music lyrics and poetry you know and some, and art you know it's just like it's trying to do that it's like we're contradictory human beings and like and whoever wants to act like they're not they're just so like <laughs> full of nonsense you know <laughs> And that's, you know, it took me going on tour with other poets who were poet activists, you know, whatever, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> what hell, is that? Whatever the hell either word of those <laughs> is, right? But, you know, it's like watching them, like, because we were on a tour in California, and then they went to Connecticut, and then they went to Philly, and I didn't get to go on that part of the tour. It was called the Independence Poets. But when they went to Philly... Some of the poets were like, we got to go um, to meet the Move 9. You know, the Move 9 was like um, people that, you know, that helped, like, establish a whole, like, sustainable piece of land inside of the city. And we're like, we're no longer part of your city. We're John Africa and Jane Africa, and we don't have anything to do with the government. And they're still around, and that's, you know... Some people are, have been arrested because of them, but super revolutionary people. And so some of the poets wanted to go see them. The other half were like, nah, we're going to go shopping. And it was a trip because then people were like, well, what about your last poem? Like, remember you were talking about capitalism? Isn't that we're going to go meet like revolutionaries. Remember your last poem that was about revolutionary? This was... And, um, and, and at the time I just heard the whole thing. I was like, damn, trip out. And now I'm like, cool, you want to go shopping, that's great. Like, that's what you wanted to do. I know you have issues with capitalism. And he's like, you're never going to shop again? You know, but I think when we have a poet or an artist that puts out a statement, we, for one, do them the disservice of thinking that's their ultimate truth. Mm-hmm. When they're just putting out a truth. And then we as artists or as poets do ourselves disservice when we think like well now I'm that truth that's it that's it you know <laughs> I have to hold I can't you know I'm never gonna have no more Adidas <laughs> shirt anymore or, you know 
Nike, Cortez, Cortez was, you know, colonized of, uh, <laughs> of Latin America. So, you know, screw Cortez. And it's just like, it's complicated. It's all complicated. And we have to, like, sit with that. And I think that's where I'm at peace now. You know, especially when somebody tries to call me out on something and say, I'm like, yeah, well, come back and sit with me. And you'll know what I meant. Mm. Don't just, like, try to soundbite me, you mm-hmm. know. Was there a calming moment that made you come to that realization of how complicated it is? I think that that moment of listening back, because I didn't get to go, <laughs> that was the beginning of it, you know. And I think going to ceremony and, and being around a sacred fire and realizing that, you know, we have to hold all these complex emotions. I think last week even, you know, watching this young 16-year-old um, with her eye all bruised, you know. Um, and she walked in there and she's like, yeah, my dad's in ceremony tonight too, you know. He's down, you know, in in another another ceremony down the way, but I, went, I, I didn't think I could be there. So I'm here and I'm, I'm going to leave him and I'm going to go back home to my mom. But I just want to put all this in the fire right here, right now. And I want to say that I love him. You know, and that moment to me was like so powerful that at 16 year olds, you know, could could hold that truth. Like, yeah, he's this thing on my face is his fault. And there's no excuse for it as my dad. There's no excuse for what he did. But I'm going to come here and say that I love him and mean it. And I just watch all of us get that healing from that, you know, contradiction. <laughs> like, yeah, this, this, that's my father. Yep, I love him. He's an ass for, for what he did. But I can't hold that. No way I'm going to hold that. I'm bouncing. I'm out of here. I'm out of here, and I'm not going to hold on to that. You know, and is there going to be moments where, you know, they kick back and that feeling comes back of like, man, you hit me in the face. Like, how could you do that? You know? Um, that bruise looked like, like Mike Tyson, you know? It was nasty. And to watch that, wow, that happened yesterday, and today you're in front of this fire going like, I love you, Dad. I, and I don't even care if you hear me, but that your spirit hears me, that I, my spirit hears, and all these people here hear it, you know? It's like moments like that, like to me, are like, that's the truth of who we are in our humanity at every turn, mm-hmm. you know, as artists, as poets, or whatever, you know, as activists, as, as human beings, <laughs> you know, walking on this earth. It's like... Oh, you know, so-and-so's a sellout. He, you know, he got that, you know, $100,000 $100, from Pepsi to, to you know, make that billboard. And, you know, he's all about community. And I'm like, that's dope. <laughs> you know, he got $100,000. And I hope, you know, part of it, he does put it back in the community or she, or they do. But if they don't, like, get it. Because we're, we're not, we're in a war. And all's fair in love and war. And mm-hmm. we've been in war. And sometimes, you know, it's easy to, to 
uphold all our ethics and all what we claim to be our morals, but in war? It's like, what does that, what does that even mean? You know, when we're in war, it's like, when do I hold them? I try to because it's not even about this plane because it's a spiritual war and I have to hold myself to that bigger thing. But there's those moments when that's going to get called to question. Mm. And it's how do I show up then? Cool, I had to do that. I had to compromise. And then how do I show up for the next battle? You know, and the next healing. Mm -hmm. The next moment, you know. And I think that's been the true freedom for me as an artist, you know. Where I'm like, yeah, I make these books and, and I call them coloring books. They're my ancestral codices that I'm making for now, for seven generations from now. And I use just a Sharpie because that's a tool in my neighborhood that gets used to do other things. And am I slanging them? Yeah, I'm slanging them and I'm selling them. I'm selling them, you know? And I'm trying to show other artists to do stuff like that. But does that make me a salad? Does that make me a capitalist? Does that make, what is that? You know, it's like, it's like, how do you navigate those things without getting too caught up with those isms? As an artist, my job is to be always inside of that and, again, be at peace for mm -hmm. myself and that I'm saving a life. Mine first and that I'm saving somebody else. I know that I'm saving my life, somebody else's life, through a poem, through reading that one poem one time out loud, that it does that. Because mm -hmm. there's that story that I was telling earlier, that's testimony of that, but me, I put them all on Facebook. They're like, aren't you, like, don't you want to publish someday? I'm like, yeah, I publish my own books. But don't you want to be published by, you know, X, Y, and Z publisher? Yeah, maybe. But this is my tool. Like, I know this poem is going to get to somebody's eyes that I need it now, not five years from now when some you know, why publishing company decides, like, wow, your work is really exceptional, you know. And so I try to get youth, I try to get anybody, like, put your stuff out. Mm -hmm. Put your drawings out. Put your half-finished work out. Because you don't know who's on that other end, like, needing to see that. Mm -hmm. And that's all I have to know, not from, like, a conceited space of, like, my, my work heals. It's like, no, it's because it's art heals, poetry heals. You know, and it's like that moment when it's pure vibration. You know, I had another elder tell me when I was creating my studio, I was like, call it creator. I was like, I'm not going to call my studio creator. Like, what? <laughs> like, call it Tukashula, call it God, call it Omateo. I was like, he's like, that's what you're doing when you put your hands on something and you create. And it's like, wow, yeah. Like, we become, like, all that higher power. It comes through us. When people get stuck in their ego and their pride, when they start thinking, like, oh, I did that. You know, I'm like, I did that mural. I did, I did that sculpture. Like, you know, where I'm like, no, it's like creation, creator, universe. The goddesses, the gods, they all went through me. Like, when I feel like I'm not involved and it, like, comes out, like, I'm like, wow, they just came through me. Like, when it comes out really good, <laughs> I'm like, that wasn't me. 
you know, and a poem just like floats out. It's like 200 other like sloppy attempts at poetry and then one just like slips out that just feels like water and fire at the same time. I'm like, creation, I was creator, I am creator. Mm. You know, I am that, you know, and I think that's, that's what they try to undo from us, you know. And I think that's what I understood when I was 16, mm. you know, in some deeper way, you know, that I was, it wasn't me, like it was going through me. I'm not a poet, you know. This, these words are coming through me that, that are for somebody else, that are for me, but they're for somebody else. I wrote a letter to, to my, my baby girl, when I was 16, that I still haven't had, Aww. you know, but I, I wrote that letter, and I wrote a letter to my wife that is now in my side, you know, it's like, that's the power that's right there, because it's our, like, higher self, like, really, like, creating, and I tell people, like, write those positive poems, write all that, like, nasty stuff, like, all that stuff that's happening that's, like, horrible, but it's, like, Decolonize that too. Like, put the light into it. Mm -hmm. Put the put the hope into it. Because if not, then we're just then we're just doing exactly what they want us to do. We're you know we're 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 sucking into like how they want us to see ourselves as not creation, not weapons of mass creation, not creator, not not goddess, not God, not Tukashna, not Ometeo, you know, not someone, something that can make pyramids happen, mm. you know, because that's the truth. They're still trying to, like, figure that out, you know, it's like, oh, they must have had this round <laughs> ancient, ancient aliens. Ancient aliens. <laughs> it's like, no, it was us. It was through our art. It's like, what did they find in all those places that did that? It's like, instruments and art. <laughs> like, sacred instruments and art, you know, they... Yep, that's how tough we are. <laughs> we can do it with nothing else. We don't need no tools. We just like, will it be? You know? And so I, that's why I try to like tell folks, you know, young and old, like, you, you, and even when they tell me again, it's like, oh, what about, you can put out all that work and, you know? I'm like, yeah, and I got a million more because I'm from the stars. Mm. I'm from the stars. Like, oh, what if they stay, take that? Well, let them have it. I got them. I'm from the stars. You can't take that from me. <laughs> you can't take where I'm from and where I'm going back to. Mm -hmm. I'm just here documenting a little, like, sliver of it, you know? Because that's what we, we decided, I think. On the level of our unconsciousness For example, what does the billboard say? Come and play, come and play Forget about the movement
And what what do you what advice can you give for um, for other artists, uh, young people who are trying to remember to tap into that space? Like, what are some tactics? So, like, it's funny because you were like, I just want you to know who this broken box is for this unboxed place that we're trying to get to. So I, I'm having a lot of memories of when I was 16. Mm. So now like, when I was 16? <laughs> well, this is actually when I was 17. <laughs> um, California College of the Arts came to our school. Um, and that was actually the first time that I saw that as an avenue. Like, they came and said, you can come to our school and you can be an artist and you can you know, come to our university and it's art school and, you know, you can, you can do that. And I remember my whole world, like, that day, like, oh, my God, that's what I want to do. I want to be an artist. I want to do this. I want to go to that school. And I was looking through their, their catalog and flipping through it, and then I got home, and then I flipped through the back, and I was, and I was like, you need a portfolio. And then I looked through and I'm like, what's a portfolio? And I'm like looking through that and realizing, oh, portfolio is like pictures and images of your stuff, like with like nice photo quality. And I remember I was like, my mom made 6,000 on a year at that time. So I remember just right then and there, I was like, oh, this costs money. Mm. I closed that book. I just was like, that's not happening. I closed that book. And I didn't pick up those thoughts, that idea, till I was like 19, 20 years old again, you know. Um, and, I, and I was at, you know, having all these crazy experiences of trying to go to UC Berkeley, and I was like, I can do anything. And, and so for me, it was like, that's why I use that Sharpie. That's why a lot of my work is like a pencil and a paper. You know, it's like, if you make a thousand of anything, that's it. You're there. So a lot of my work is that, like this codice is a thousand images. Like a, right now I'm working on a piece that's like a thousand Sharpie drawings. I'm working on another piece where I use like these big old brown paper that you find at Home Depot and like black paint. And I made a thousand of those. And it's like, it's not about the money. And it took me a long time. And it's not about what anybody thinks of that work. You know, I think it took me a long time to decolonize that reality of like, it's cool to say like, hey, bro, what do you think of that? But that's coming from my soul. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, hard to have an opinion yeah. other than your own yeah, art creator. Like, yeah, it's like, it's mine. It could be scribbles on the wall, but that's my art. You know, it could be I did it with mud. It could be I did... It's like, own that. Own that you're from creation, you're from the stars, and, and any haiku, any poem, any rap song, any drawing, like, it's perfect, right where it's at. It doesn't need an A, B, C, D, or F, and this is decolonized behavior that I see a lot of, like, people that come out of art school, and they're like, they're not making art anymore. He's like some of the most amazing artists that I met in the last 20 years of like going back door to like art classes because I never got an actual art degree. I always just got like, 
I was snuck into classes at UC Berkeley. I was already finishing my art degree. I mean, my English degree. And I snuck into this art class. And I, I acted like I was registered. I filled out the, <laughs> you know, filled it out like that. You know, put my name on the wait list. And like, and two weeks into, but the first two weeks, I'm just like knocking out work in the class, dude, and acting like I'm just another old student in the class. <laughs> and then two weeks in, he's like, um, Israel, um, you're not on my register. And I'm like, yeah, you know what happened? Financial aid didn't go through. <laughs> I didn't have any more financial aid. I had two more units to finish, and I was not going to get any financial aid. So I snuck into this art class, and he's like, yeah. I'm like, can I? He's like, well, you could stay, you know? <laughs> you know, and that's one of my mentors now. Wow. And I started doing that. A year after I graduated UC Berkeley, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be an artist. I remember now, because I went for this degree to have a safe job, you know, English degree, you're always going to need an English teacher, blah, blah, blah. And I put that artist to the side, you know, but he was always there lingering, doing the doodles in the back of class and everything. And and I started doing this movida in all these art classes. I show up, I'd sign up, do, do, do. And then they'd be like, you're not on my roster. I'm like, yeah, you know, financial aid. <laughs> And I'd use that space up, like be there at 6 o'clock to midnight to 2 in the morning because nobody was there. Nobody. Wow. And this was like a trip because I saw that at UC Berkeley. I saw it at San Francisco State. I saw it at Laney Community College. I saw it back in East LA Community College. And it's probably happening around this area too. It's like all these spaces are so underutilized. Mm. So I go in there, pretend to be a student, and I create these relationships people that are still in my life 10 years later that later on I confess right like towards the end of the semester yeah you know what um, I was I didn't have no more financial aid and I was like not supposed to be in your class and most of the time they would be like that's cool I appreciate you because you're a real artist you come you work your butt off so you could come back to any class that I have mm. you know so I think a lot of times yeah, we're colonized in the U.S. But when I go to third world countries and I see what people do with way less, I realize how privileged we are. Even in our most jacked up situations that we're colonized in. Like we have a dumpster full of things. I've gone to like um, the, the big dump in, in Colorado over by Crestone. And you see this shiny mountain of like all this metal. I'm not a metal sculptor, but I'm like, whoa. <laughs> it just looks like gold. It's just like this big old mountain of like what in the use is trash that we constantly just dump all these resources, you know? And so for me, it's like coming to that awareness, like, yeah, I don't. And, I, and a lot of my going to UC Berkeley took me hustling going to the library, going to the bookstore and reading a book that I couldn't afford in the freaking bookstore, you know? And this is the reality. It's like, I could complain all I want of how colonized I am, of how, like, the reality is I am $100,000 in college debt because I came from a poor place and I didn't have the resources and that's what it meant to go into these high-end universities. Mm. But... 
I got in there. I got in there. And somehow that debt is going to get paid off because I'm paying my debt off through my community. So that's how I see it. And I can't let that, like, $100,000 pigeonhole me. I can't the fact that my mom had $6,000, you know, um, every year. That's And that, that made my financial aid come in later. Like, all these things that I could have factored in is like, man, I, don't, I can't. Or I don't have space. I don't have time. It's like, I, I'll go into a classroom. I'll show a kid a, a, a ream of paper. I'm like, who's going to stop you from those five bucks? You don't have the five bucks? I'll give you five bucks. But I'm sure you can find those five bucks. And you can go ask your teacher, grab that paper, you know. It's like, we, we that's the, the best job colonization did to us. It makes us think like, oh, there's just, we don't have it. I don't, I don't have a pencil. I don't have, I don't have that. I don't have that awesome art studio. And then I'm like, someone will be like, oh, you know, there's no place to do the open mic. I'm like, there's a street corner, dog. You want to go with me? Like, let's roll. <laughs> well, who could videotape? Like, we got, we got, we got a phone on the camera. Like, what else we need? Like, now more than ever, mm-hmm. I'm like bearing witness as I'm watching like the tools that we're using right now mm-hmm. to make this podcast happen. It's just like bare minimum, but that <laughs> fancy as hell in my mind, you know. And it's just like. I try to educate folks, like, what do you want to do? It's, mm-hmm. it's right there. It's like, 10 years ago, it was even more complicated. But even then, it wasn't that complicated. Mm-hmm. And it's healing when we just move, when we stop thinking, you know, become sacred motion mm-hmm. or lean. You know, taku or mashkanshkan, just become that sacred movement that moves with the, the sun, that moves with the water, that moves with myself. When I just stop, that's what they want me to do, is just stop and think and think and just make that jail cell right in my brain. Mm. I don't have this. I can't do this because of this. I can't. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. The hill is big. If you're red, if you're brown, if you're not white, male, there's a bunch of, but there's all these other tools in my hands that are ancestral. Mm. I told my, when I went to grad school, they were trying to stop me from going to grad school. I got in. I got into the program. Like, well, you're one-third below Oakland's poverty level. Uh, how do you expect to pay for the school? You know? I was like, I'm one-third below Oakland's poverty level. Why aren't you giving me more money? <laughs> and he was like, no, it's merit-based. And, and I was like, what? I'm probably going to be the only Chicano in there. Like, I know somebody left money for me in there. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, just give me the door. I'm going to get all these other um, scholarships. He's like, well, if you get those other scholarships, we'll take this money away. So he was basically telling me, like, you probably you're shouldn't. Screwed. You're screwed. You shouldn't come here. You know? And I'm thinking in my head, just let me in the door. My ancestors want me to be happy. I know they want me to be happy. And I know they want me to have abundance, true freedom, peace, and dignity. But I didn't tell him that. I was just like, just deal with it. And then a year later, I'm sitting in his office, and he's asking me what it's going to take for me to stay. And I told him, a full ride. 
and he puts over a note that's like, like all of my education for that second year's paid. You know, the same person that was like, no, well, you, this is the package we're going to give you. I'm the financial aid director. I'm not going to give you any more money. Like, do you really want to do this? Like, you get more money, I'll take this money away. You know? And how many people turn away from that? Because they forget, because they've been co-colonized, where I was like, my ancestors want this for me. Mm. They want me to be happy. They don't want me to suffer on this. We already did that. <laughs> We've been doing that. Like, they want me to be happy. Even when we're out there protesting, even when we're out there getting these resources, even though when we're fighting for water or whatever, it's like, they still want me to be happy. Mm. You know? And so it's like, that's what I try to tell artists, like, when they're like, wow, you know, look at those guys, they got that big old venue over there. I'm like, you want space over there? Like, well, no. Well, what do you want to do? Mm. Like, let's make it happen. Let's make that space. Yeah. Well, there's no space for us. I'm like, it's like she's really big. <laughs> like, there's all kinds of space. You know? And it's just like owning that and owning that that's going to open up something else. Mm. You know? Like, my wife, the last couple of years, was like, oh, how are we going to get to this land you keep saying we're getting to? I was like, I just, it's right there. I just know it. You know? And it's a trip how I came because about two years ago, I had one nonprofit call me up and they were like, um, we want you to do this mural in our building. We got $3,000. Damn. I was like, oh, cool, finally. <laughs> like 10 years later, I've been doing this work 15 years later. It's cool. Somebody's going to recognize the work. They're going to then you get in there, start doing the planning, blah, blah, blah. Actually, we only have $1,000. Oh, that's when it starts pulling on your heartstrings. You're like, mm, actually, we only have five hundred dollars. Mm, actually, we don't even have that. And so, this way, you think like, oh, okay, it was just this one nonprofit. They're just being silly and whatever. But in the course of two months, this happened to me three times—the exact same scenario. Oh my gosh! You know. Um, and again, you feel like, man, like this is how to screw me. They just want me to work for free. Da, da, da. So what did I do? I went on the street and I did work for free, but for my own terms. I was like, you know what? Screw this. Like, I'm going to go do murals with youth out of my pocket. And then Youth Works jumped in. They were like, here's some more funding. You know, it was nothing. But come three, four months later, when we're doing all these murals in the neighborhood, I get a phone call. Like, Oh, we want to fund... Well, this is a Kindle project, and we want to fund your work. And I'm like, oh, cool. I took the last $500 that I had in my bank account, and I was like, I'm going to buy all this art supplies, and I'm going to make these cool proposals, da, da, da. Like, cool, right? And this is, like, after the summer of ceremonies, so I'm like, okay, like, cool. Like, the universe is opening. I, you know, I pay my dues, and here it comes. And they're like, oh, we're in Albuquerque. Can you come over there? I'm like, oh, cool. So I get over there, and they're like, oh, actually, we can't meet up with you. But we want to tell you about the Kindle Project and what we're trying to give you. Um, you're, you've been nominated uh, for an international award. It's called the Maker's Muse Award. And we give out seven each year in the globe. 
and you were nominated. So we're giving you $10,000. You don't have to make more art with it. You don't have to, please don't report on your taxes. It makes it harder for us because you can get up to 14000 as a gift. You know, so mm -hmm. they just, this is for you. We recognize you in the community for what the work you do. That was such a healing moment. You know, it's like, wow, I followed my heart. I followed the truth of like every time we were on those walls, I was in such peace. I was like, nobody's paying me. We're making a mural with like all these youth and their designs and my designs, you know, and it was just like this, I was at peace. And I didn't think like, man, how's this gonna pay the bills? Or how's it gonna? And then they're like, this is how it's gonna pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And that became how we, I got off the phone because I couldn't believe it. And I tell my wife and we both just start crying. Mm. And that becomes like the down payment on us looking for land, you know, um, which is where we're at now, seven acres because of that. But it took me to like break free from my own conditioning around like I had to do it their way. I had to fill out for grants. I had to do their proposals. And when I finally was like, you know what, like, no, like you guys come to me when you see me. You know, the Kindle project saw me. And it's like giving me a whole like renewed sense of like self and dedication to my community. Of like, don't have a doubt. Mm. Like, cause your aunt, forget who's watching you, your ancestors are watching you. And they're gonna give you what you need. But you can't doubt that, not even for a second. Like, you can't doubt it. You know, and I think like when we look at white artists, you know, and, and how they get stuff, we forget that that's the one thing that they're holding. The audacity of saying, I'm worth it. Mm -hmm. The audacity of saying, I want a million dollars. Like, we'll never, like, be like, yeah, let me get a million dollars so I can do stuff for me and, and do this thing, you know, but the audacity of saying, like, yeah, I'm worth that and that much more because I'm creation. Mm. I'm creator, I'm come from the stars. Like, I'm worth that. I'm worth all that and a bag of chips. And a bag of true land and true freedom. <laughs> and right there, I think, lies decolonization. Mm -hmm. That is like a really key factor that I don't think is in the direct action and stuff. We don't, mm -hmm. we don't embed that narrative of like um, self-agency and yeah. self-recognition through creator and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and... and and I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, if we're not instilling that in ourselves, everything that we're doing is always going to be shortchanged. Mm. Well, no matter what it is we're fighting for, whether it's like water, when we're out like in middle South Dakota, if we're, if we're not like inside of that, like, this is, this. I'm, what am I worth? Mm -hmm. You know, or we're trying to find an art space in, in our local community or a garden or f access to food. If we don't say, like, I deserve all of that, if I'm too busy being, like, angry at what we don't have, then that's the poison that's just like, yeah, use that. Like, use that frustration and that anger. But turn it to medicine or else, like, they win. 
that force, that thing that's like creating greed and, and, and taking away our, our real energy, our real life source, then that, that thing is when that black snake, that force is roaming everywhere. But it's like, do I know there's another snake that's red, yellow, all the colors? That's like, and black? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's like, that's, then that black snake is like, you're just like, you're nothing. Just a part and, of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's just like, and that's just, you know, like how it is on the daily, right? It's like, mm-hmm. when you turn around the corner and you look at a liquor store, or you turn around the corner and you're in the res and like, you can just easily let that that darkness just like, you can feed that. You can just keep feeding it and, and you can just be right there. Or you could push against it and you could like, you know, do your direct action. But then it's like, where's the sustainability? Where's the seven generations? Where's the land and the freedom? Where's, you know, water? Where's like those bigger things if they're not? And saying like, where are those things for myself? Mm-hmm. I think that's where we like end up burnt out and in this vacuum, right? I was like, wait. And again, those contradictions, like, how can I fight for all that and then want something for myself? I'm like, how can you fight for all that and not want something for yourself and for your children and for their children's children, you know? For your own mom, for your own dad, for whoever, you know, matters in your life. You know, you're not going to be able to do that if you're not pouring this in and saying, like, I love myself and I want that for myself and I deserve all of it, all of it, you know, the best of whatever, I, you know, best microphones, the best, you know, um, publishing company, the best building, the best everything. But I don't have that right now. So I have all this, and I'm going to make it happen with this. Like when we, when we did that protest, you know, and we fasted in California, somebody said it to us, some of the organizers were like, man, I don't know how we pulled that off. We walked in there, like, just a couple fasters, and we had an organizer behind us, but we walked in, we walked, we rolled up in there with a tricycle, and we called it a Harley. <laughs> you know? And it did eventually turn into a Harley. You got Dolores Huerta, forget it, you know, you're, you're, you're there, you know? It's like, she just made everything happen. But it was us rolling in there with that tricycle going, you know, the power of like the impossible being possible mm-hmm. and holding that because those are things they stripped us from, mm-hmm. you know, that we have to like on the daily, like piece together, especially right now mm-hmm. with all this, like every step of destruction and creation. And it's like, okay, where are you in creation today? How are you creator today? You know, I'm not going to stop that idiot from X, Y, and Z, you know, until we collectively kick him out. But till then, like, well, down the street, who's down the street? Who's next to me? Mm-hmm. What's my neighbor doing? Am I helping them feel safe? Do I feel safe? You, mm-hmm. know, you know, it's like, and if I'm not feeling safe, it's like, what in my mind is making me feel that too? Yeah, it's colonization, but also, like, look at, like, what's happening worldwide. And that's not happening right here, right now. A lot's happening here. Mm-hmm. But there's not, you know, bombs flying over our head. 
you know, and it's like, okay, so then what can I do to create, 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 create here and have that impact the other side of the world? But for me, it's like if I keep seeding here, it's going to have, it's going to ripple, it's going to ripple. You know, it's going to be like a, that 16-year-old walking into that for the first time, you know, breaking segregation. And that was just her, like, thinking, like, whoa, this is what I'm doing. But it's like, that's still rippling. Mm -hmm. You know, 16-year-olds taking total courage in one act, and it ripples, it ripples. Mm -hmm. And it's the same in the barrio, and that's why I'm, like, always, like, I just use Sharpie to make these books. A little pen right here, a pencil, that's it. Oh, I, I, you know, I got on the computer. Oh, you don't have a computer? The library's got some cool computers, you know, because you're not in a third world country. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's figure those tools out for our youth because they're our leaders and just think. And then have everybody else get inspired, like, oh, that. Because I want people to look at me and go like, man, that who did it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could do that with well, that nonsense he just did like 10 times better. Like, that's ultimately where I'm coming from. People like, I can't believe he put that scribble up on Facebook. I'm like, yeah, do it better. So I know you can. Like, well, I can't really put like 10 poems up in one day. Like, did he edit? Look, that one's not edited. I'll have people like inbox me. Um, you know, it's there, T H I E I R, and you put. T H E R E in that poem. I'm like, oh, cool, thanks. Like, did you read the rest of the poem? <laughs> like, but that's the police that we have inside. So, because I could tell at that point, why are they inboxing me? Because they're embarrassed. Something inside of them is like, oh, I can't believe you did that. Like, <laughs> but it's like personal embarrassment, but it's not even that. It's like colonization. It's like, you know, it's like that person police, right? Like, oh, I got to go police him because, you know. Out of line. Yeah, he's out of line. Or like, I'll have a professor be like, you know, haiku is five, seven, five syllables. And I'm like, yeah, so I called them borderless haiku. Yeah, I don't know if you caught that first word. And, and I got a master's, you know, but just knowing there's always going to be that outside and inside. And that's all colonization. You know, but what helped me was one time when I went to some elders and they were like, oh, what project are you working on? And I showed them the project. And they're like, yeah, good. <laughs> and I'm just waiting for a critique, right? And they're like, yeah, good, I'll keep, keep doing it. And I felt this vacuum, like I was like in a hole and I was getting pushed off into the abyss. And I felt like crap for a day or two. I was like, why didn't they tell me anything? Why didn't they, why didn't they tell me how bad it was? And it was like, but that's Western colonized like education and what we think is like uplifting. And it's just like, tell me what's wrong with this. Mm -hmm. Right? When we go to somebody, show them a poem or show them something, we're not like, oh, look, check out what I just did. We're, you know, a lot of times, like when we go up in that space, it's that police inside of us that we need somebody else to police it too. Mm. And say, you know. So you'll see some of my, like, some people will see, like, there's, like, one or two images inside of each book since I self-published them that's, like, not perfect. It's, like, still digitized. It's, like, 
funky and somebody would like flip to that page and be like look um you forgot to like really edit this this isn't vectorized and like it's not all solid it's pixelated i'm like oh cool you found him you found me you know but they expect me to have like this shame and take it off the shelves and pull all the copies of that book out and you know redistribute and i'm like okay eventually i'll get back to it and like fix it but i'm like cool Mm. you know it's like that's how the light gets in (laughs) yeah right but i think that's like we do that every single day Mm. to ourselves to each other yeah Um, and we do that through art and then we also do that with each other's person you know mm -hmm. like you were saying like we all are making mistakes and learning and catching up and that forgiveness thing I think is really important as we go throughout our days policing each other and ripping ripping each other apart till there's nothing left yeah how how can we just move forward and like apologize and see each other and keep going you know (laughs) yeah because I mean that's why I was you know UC Berkeley it's like well yeah that was my first entry into getting decolonized but I had to decolonize that because I learned how to argue the crap out of arguing. Mm. It's like I could get on one side of the boat and that's it. Like, you know, sky is blue. No, sky is white. And let's go at it. Which side do you want? No, I'm going to be on this side. And then realizing how that then infiltrated my personal love relationships. You know, that's when I realized, like, no, this is not good. Mm-hmm. Like, because I learned this habit of, like, deconstructing, you know? And it's, like, de- deconstructing, D, D. And I'm just, like, when are we constructing mm-hmm. if we're always deconstructing, you know? And it's just, like, you just become that machine again. You think you're, like more human because you're decolonizing and you're deconstructing and you're like that's not humanity and Mm. we're contradictory beings there's no way you're not we are that's our just being when we leave this body and we're back into just floating around as pure spirit then we're probably maybe we're not contradictory but probably then too probably even more so Uh, yeah (laughs) we're like we're hot we're cold we're both (laughs) we are day and night together (laughs) exactly you know and it's when we like can sit with that so I like reading like you know um, poems like from Asia and I think about like how long their their um, texts have been around Mm. compared to all the stuff that we've been like all our stuff that's been burned and you know, lost, and I think, well, okay, well, what's in that guy that wrote, like, you know, in the 1500s, 1300s, 1200s, and it's just, like, that sweet and sour, Mm. that light and dark, that, like, yeah, you know, it's, like, it's both. It's day and night, like, cool, like, we're that, like, it's it's all good. And then there's a groove right in the middle, (laughs) you know, that's not black or white, that's, like, right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we forget that because we want, we want to like, we want the world to be better. Obviously, that's why we start like nitpicking and analyzing and overanalyzing. But I just mm-hmm. feel like at what point do you just get to like sit back, laugh, and go like, oh wow, yeah, okay, like you know, 
It's like we look at police, and it's just like, oh, you know, you know, f the cops, and like, I'm sure, like, you know, half of them or more are not like what we've seen. They're, we're doing the same thing they did to us. Mm. Of like now they're all just trigger happy, like racist fools. And then next time I see a cop, I'm like, no, wait, that's somebody's dad. That's somebody's uncle. That's somebody who said, I will die for the people. Yeah. Just like you're saying, I want to die for the people. On the other side, yeah. Yeah, they're like, I'm gonna, I want to die for the people. But until we make those relations, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, that's where it's at. It's like, that's, and we can't make relations if we're always just like deconstructing each other. <laughs> and like, I saw you flinch right there. You know, is that, you know, did you have an issue with what I just said <laughs> around, you know? Um, capitalism? Like, no, bro, I just, I was scratching my nose. <laughs> you know, like, no, it's, I saw your look. It's like, no, bro, I really was scratching my No, I saw your eyes, I saw your, your mouth, how it twitched when I said this and this about this topic. No, bro, I really was. <laughs> You're projecting. Yeah, you know, it's just like so many layers yeah. of stuff like that, you know. But I'm always like, can we just sit down? Yeah. And, like, really get to know each other. And, like, you know, some of us got uncles that voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. Does that, it's like, that was a thing this week for me when I did this um, brainstorming with other artists. I never thought about, to that moment, really, about, like, we were talking about audience. And somebody said, the Trump voter. And I'm like, is your art talking to the Trump voter? I was like, the Trump voter? Who the hell is that? <laughs> That's like, what? Like, the what? robot. The <laughs> robot, you know? And it's just like, wow, that's so layered. Mm -hmm. The Trump voter. It's like, even that's so layered. Like, might have been your neighbor who's now like, damn, what did I do? Or it might have been your neighbor who's like, yeah, that's I'm still right. And it's like, either way, you got to talk to him. <laughs> you know, but it's like we gotta talk to him because nobody else is. Because else we're just letting him get twi Twitter fed knowledge. Oh, you know, but it's like it, for me, it's like that's with everybody. You know how we box them in, and, mm -hmm. and whether they say something that's super offensive to us at that moment, and it's like, well, what's behind that? You know. Whether it's ignorance, whether it's pain, whether it's like, and then you find yourself like in the same boat, and sometimes with those people, like that you would have said, like I'm not talking to them, like they're you know, they, they're pro Trump or whatever, you know, pro Hillary, pro <laughs> like oh, it's a human being, like yeah, you know, and knowing who we can spend that time with, who's really like fueling us, I think. I think mm. it's just I feel like now for me it's like who's helping me feel healthy and creative who's not like weighing me down like I don't feel like there's any time for that like there's so much to do mm -hmm. and it's like it's not that I don't want to spend time with folks that are like in a bad space but if you're like if you're like someone who wants to do work with me like then let's get to work Mm -hmm. You know, and we'll complain and laugh about it after, but right now, like, let's put a bed together, let's make some art, let's go give somebody some food, let's go, you know, uh, 
let them, you know, where there's clean water, let, you know, it's like, take your pick. Mm-hmm. You don't have, like, but I think when we get, like, direct action, we get all, like, into this, like, protest mode, and then, like, what's the day-to-day? What is your day-to-day? Self-care. Yeah. Community care. Yeah. And so, that brings me to the final thing. Um, it's the soapbox moment. Mm-hmm. And um, if you could say one thing to the world, and this is your platform, it can be a poem, it can be a story, it can be advice, a little, a little seed of uh, a nugget that you can mm-hmm. share out something through this platform. Love it. I'm staring at like, Five books that I swore I was gonna read today. <laughs> well, gonna you can read them, yeah. But I'm trying to figure out what can I read from this stuff. So I'm gonna read this little piece from a, a poem from this chapbook that I just started. It's called Chica Dada Number Three, June 2052. Is when the chapbook was supposedly made, even though I made it like six months ago. And there's no Chica Dada, number one or number two. Chica Dada. Mexican Jazz Part 22, December 26, 2015. Under restoration, trying to piece together a thousand murals inside my mind. I will set them free inside this digital pyramid of work mounted in between Facebook and Twitter feeds, underneath WordPress and computer screens, mapping out trajectories of multiple her stories. This is me remembering the parts of me that are Donatiu, Tonantzin, Unchimaka, Tezcat Lipoca waking up the fears behind the smoking mirrors, Ejecatl breathing dance into my digital temple, the wind of songs echoing through these fingers, echoing through these finger chambers. This is my home sometimes. This is my prayer sometimes. You don't necessarily have to get it. Most definitely, you don't have to agree with it. I am researching for the ecology of my digital, intellectual, spiritual, political, mindful freedom. Somewhere alongside the poetry, along the arte, along the laughter, along the kneeling on the dirt, walking on some barrio street, or silent on a mountain. And if I say to you tomorrow Take my hand, child, come with me It's to a castle I will take you Well, what's to be, they say, will be me
say to me tomorrow Oh, what fun it all would be Then what's to stop us, pretty baby? But what is and what should never be? Say 